0: Probably use a new theme song. Don't yeah, you think. Yep. It's, is it getting stale for us? <laughs> um, hi, everybody, and welcome. This is another episode of Better. Uh, this time, back in the studio. I am Dr. John Duffy, and with me, as always, my favorite, beautiful, brilliant co-host, Julie Duffy, is hey. here.
1: Thank you. What's hey, what's up, babe? Um, well, you tell us, John Duffy, because
0: you had a very exciting. Thursday night. Yeah, it was really just another ordinary Thursday night for me. It was, uh, I went to see my friend Mike in New York, um, which was fun. Best friend growing up. And we just caught up. That's about it. Well, what else was so going So John, on? as you know, we were at our friend's lake house
1: last weekend, and John got a text, I think it was Sunday, from his friend Mike, who was in Italy, and, um, and he said,
0: He said, "Um, listen, I uh, have a ticket um, in my hand, basically, to Springsteen on Broadway. An extra ticket? In advance of my interview with Bruce for Esquire Magazine.
1: What?
0: And I'd really like you to come. And so I don't know. um, I didn't know how fast... I was capable of texting. <laughs> but man, I'm good. Well then you realize it was the middle
1: of the night. It was for him because he was in for him, because he was in Italy.
0: Mike was in Italy, but um so Thursday I flew to New York and um and Mike said, you know what? We're both gonna get there late afternoon. He's flying in from Italy, I'm flying in from Chicago. This all sounds very glamorous. It does. We'll meet at the box office, pick up the tickets, go in, right? Great. And maybe Maybe there'll be a chance we meet Bruce afterwards and talk to him for a minute because I represent the magazine and whatnot. Oh, that was a maybe? That was a maybe, yeah. Oh. That was a maybe. That was a hopefully. You know what I mean? Like I think, probably, but you know, like and that was a definite maybe for me. It was a closer to a maybe for Mike.
1: Oh.
0: So but um within moments of arriving so I get to the theater a little bit early there's people uh, milling about there's a line a mile long um, I see Patty Bruce's wife show up in a big black limo Wait, up. so
1: we had been there before We've so seen you it once before. you knew the drill so you said you you stood across the street to watch it
0: all unfold yeah to watch everyone show up yeah right so I'm kind of chilling across the street I um, I think there's a show about Pinocchio playing where I am, so there's no line. <laughs> Wait, let me just say this. The thing that's really cool about New
1: York theaters is that they typically are the ones I've been in on Broadway. They're small theaters, and the stars have to come and go out the front. Yeah. I mean, the ones I've been to anyway. Well, there's no alleys. There's, there's yeah. no side door. There's, all, so there's no there's, back right. door. There's, there's only no a door. There's no special door. There's no special place to park their special thing, so they all they show up in their limos or whatever, and they come in and pe- so people know to wait and see them come in and come out. So that's pretty cool.
0: Now, the Walter Kerr Theater yep. has a uh, stage door that, for some reason or other, is gold. But I think it makes sense now. It does. Um, because um, as Mike went into the theater uh, about 15 minutes after Bruce arrived, um, through that door... Um, he texted me and said, "Hey, somebody's coming to get you um, at the stage door."
1: Wait, tell me how you felt. Wait, just backtrack for a second. Wait, so, did Mike? Did you see Mike before he yeah, went yeah, in? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I saw, okay. I saw, so, yeah. so, I saw Mike. So you go went in. there before Mike, and you're watching Bruce and Patty go in, and then
0: Mike shows up. And then Mike, up? Mike, Mike shows up. Okay. And then, um, and somebody lets him in. And I'm like, oh, oh, so maybe Mike's doing a thing now, you know? So I don't know really what's going on, but Mike's in, right? Then he texts me and says, hey, this woman's coming to get you at the stage door. So I go up to the stage door. There's a giant there. Was there a bunch of people, saying, people too? You know, a like, bunch of... Hey, keep getting in line, pal. You know what I mean? Like, get, keep it moving, buddy. And I said, actually, I'm um, here to go backstage. And, uh, and as... Ooh he's saying, you know, kind of like, yeah, whatever. This woman opens the door and she goes, Dr. John Duffy. And I'm like, yeah, that's me, man. Oh, my God. (laughs) And so we go down the stairs and um, it's kind of like you go down this long hallway with (laughs) one thing I remember vividly. So Bruce has been playing this place for more than a year. And yet there is a table full of wigs <laughs> on, on heads. Oh, seriously! It's like there's a play oh, going hilarious. on. You know what I mean? Like there's costumes and <laughs> like there's play stuff. Like there's a play going on, as if Springsteen hasn't been the only person performing there for more oh, than wow. a year. And then and then we get to this room that has a couple of couches in it, and um, and Mike and I have a seat. Uh, we we hug. It's good to see my good buddy from childhood, first guy I ever saw Springsteen with when I was 16 years old. And, um, and we're sitting there talking to these women. And um, and they introduce themselves. And one woman says um, that her name is Mrs. Landau. Um, another woman says her name is Mrs. Marsh. And I know exactly who these people are because I've read so much about Bruce. I'm kind of like, you know, oh, I'm, I'm shaky now. now, well, who now so who are they? So John Landau. Um, was a writer for a rock magazine that went out of business 50, 45 years ago. Um, he has been Bruce's um, partner and an agent f- since Born to Run. Oh, so wow. he, he had a bad agent situation going on before Born to Run. John Landau kind of took over his career, and Bruce finally made some money and was a spectacle. Dave Marsh um, said uh, to Rolling Stone, In 1975, it's going to get sad. It's going to get sad, except for me. Um, In 1975, he said, I've seen the future of rock and roll, and its name is Bruce Springsteen. Within two weeks, Bruce was on the cover of both Time and Newsweek on the same week, which Time and Newsweek Newsweek did not like to do that. Who was he to say that? I mean, what was his... Um, I think he was a writer for Rolling Stone. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm. And Marsh has written um, kind of the ultimate biography of Bruce as well. So I'm sitting here with kind of this Springsteen royalty. And and, and I realize, and Bruce is going to come in this room. So I start to freak a little bit. Like really? I'm starting, yeah, I'm getting, um, I'm, I'm excited to the point where I'm afraid, you know, my, my voice is going to go into an octave <laughs> I don't recognize. <laughs> um, and so we're talking. And then this dude comes down who um, is the guy who's handing Bruce different guitars and stuff during the show. So he's some kind of a, of a manager of some kind, and uh, we introduce ourselves to him, and he asks us which show we went to, and he goes, oh, that was the old, uh, you were in Rosemont, that was the old Horizon, right? I'm like, oh, yeah, that was the Horizon. He's like, so the River Tour, how'd you like that show? It was great. Um, then he said, like, "Ask how many times we'd seen Bruce, and I, I, I gave a very proud 15, um, he asked me where what my favorite Bruce show was, and it was the one where I, you got sold on Bruce. It was Devils and Dust right. that tour, and the guy knew exactly what I was talking about, knew exactly the show. He knew which one of the Devils and Dust shows in Chicago I meant too. The one he said the one in Rosemont or the one down at the United Center. Oh, that's right, we saw them both. So said, oh, it was the one in Rosemont. Oh, that's right. And he's like, yeah, that was a hell of a show. I'm like, yeah, it was, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one guy owning the stage. I said it kind of reminded me of this, what he's doing now, yes. one man owning the yes. stage. Um, no, that is when I got it. So then uh, he says, oh, I got to go. Bruce is coming. So he leaves. And down the stairs <laughs> walks Bruce Springsteen. And there's only five of us in the room. And Bruce Springsteen is standing there. And Mike and I stand up. And um, this woman says, this is uh, Mike from Esquire Magazine. And this is his friend John. Hey, Mike. Hey, John. Nice to <laughs> meet you. Um, and we talked for a few minutes and, uh, um, remind me what I, what I even said to Bruce. I know. I'm trying to think oh, too. Oh, he, he asked, <laughs> he asked, um, uh, have, have you seen one of my shows before? And, and we're like, yeah, yeah, we've seen you. <laughs> we're familiar.
1: Well, and he asked you if you'd seen that show. And then
0: he asked, have you been to this show? Yeah. And both of us said, yeah, we have. And, uh, and my friend Mike is a very understated dude. So Mike said, uh. I thought it was terrific. I thought it was, uh, you know, beautiful and uh, haunting. And and he asked, um, uh, what I thought of the show, and I said, um, it's a fucking dream come true. (laughs) (laughs) And Bruce said, yeah, that's good.
1: (laughs) That's awesome.
0: And then and then about three or four minutes into it, Bruce Springsteen says, okay, okay, Mike, John, I got to get to work. Yeah. Oh my god. And within a minute. Mike and I are honest to God. We were. I mean, he had to walk down the hall I came in on and upstairs and step on the stage and put a guitar on because we walked right to our seats, sat down, and he was off and going. We we were not in our chairs for ten seconds. So the last person he talked to was me. Yeah, this was crazy, man. I mean, it was unbelievable. And then, and then the show which I had seen before, I wasn't in the best place emotionally when I first saw the show. So this, I, I was there 100%, and um, it's a good thing for me the theaters are dark, because somehow from the gun, I was present and ugly cry, man. I mean, kind of crying through every song. God, yeah, I, cry, I cried of,
1: a lot during that show. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. It was, it's... it's um I don't know. It's, it's only playing for a couple more months, but I think Netflix is picking it up to, to show it. Um, but it is beautiful and haunting and so different than what you picture a Springsteen show being in the very best way. Um, it mixes a lot of spoken word with now um, a lot of beautiful music played by um, just a master and at the very, 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 very top of... His voice, and I mean his, um, not his singing voice necessarily, because Bruce would say he does not have the best singing voice. I mean his poetic voice, because every word was poetry. Yeah. Every word was gorgeous, yeah. and a lot of it was funny as hell, and a lot of it was dark and haunting. And But it, if you ever want to feel yourself emotionally, like see this show, because it was beautiful. I loved it. And, um, I I don't always pick the right thing right away, but man, at 15 years Mm -hmm. old, at 16, I was like, this is my guy. And here I am almost what, 40 years later. And that is my guy, man. I mean, you know, um, crazy about him and it was just transcendent. And Michael Haney, thank you, man. Um, brother, you, you made a dream come true for a second time. With Springsteen, because it was Mike who talked me into it, because... Oh, that's right. I thought everybody was going to be doing drugs at the rock and roll show when <laughs> I was a kid. I thought, you can't go to a rock show, man. That's not right. Yeah,
1: you guys completely like disobeyed your mommies and my went down mommy, there. My You got
0: home late. My mommy was very unhappy. <laughs> it was a Tuesday night, and I got home after one Oh, morning. wow. Yeah. I mean, search party unhappy. That is not like you... Really? um just about i mean like i think bu- my my buddy mike's mom was involved and you know like everyone's talking you know so it got me to thinking about what i think we want to talk about here because a lot of bruce's show takes place he 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 goes all the way back to his childhood and he kind of walks you through his story, his life, and you you realize, like, oh, my God, there's so much dimension to every person that you don't know. Like, I've seen this guy so many times. I've spent so many hours with him. And, you know, you think, like, he's a rock star. This is what he does. He goes on stage, and he tears it up, and he goes off stage, you know, and and he's just walking around being cool. And um, But, you know, you forget, like, there was a little kid once who picked up a guitar and couldn't play it and had to return it, and, you know, whose father... Didn't connect with him. And so his heart was broken every single day, you know, um, and then and they had conflict in their house and his parents moved away and um, his story is brutal. And, um, and you were talking earlier today about our connections to the people we are allegedly closest to. And one thing I can say about this man is I watched him talking about his father, who is long since gone, decades dead is it, he, it's so unresolved. So it's unresolved. so incomplete and unresolved to the point where he has to concoct fantasy in a way to try to resolve something that is unresolvable. Um, you know, he, he creates this heroic figure for just a moment, even though... During the show. During the show. Um, even though you can sense that he struggles with whether his father was a hero or a villain well, you said, or the reality somewhere. So in you
1: said he wanted he was saying he wished his dad was here and sitting in the audience looking up at him and he could go and whisper in his ear that's see that guy up there? That's the way I see you. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And you were even saying you're not you you don't a hundred percent believe that but
0: you know, I, I believe that, that that's what what he, how Bruce he wants, wants to feel. And that's how he wants his father to feel. Like, you are, my, you are my hero. You are my rock star. I want you to feel that way. I want yeah. you to feel good for once in your life for, because you, it was such a sad, depressing life. Yeah. You know?
1: Well, and, you know, I was just saying maybe he realized as he gets older, as he's gone through being a father, um, you know, that...
0: And he's gone through depression and anxiety himself. Yeah. You know? Yeah. The pretty dark, dark times.
1: Yeah, so um, he maybe feels like he's gotten to know, you know, not directly, but he's somehow gotten to know his father a little bit better, you know, as the years go by, and he he sees him from you know from a different perspective. Yeah, I think that's right. And so maybe you know maybe he does want to say that to him.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think maybe he does. But um, as you were suggesting earlier, these people that we live with. Our families, right? Um, we we run on the supposition that makes a lot of sense because we live in the same building, we share meals together, you know, we share DNA. That somehow, well, we we fundamentally know these people, right? Yeah. And I think um, I think your point was to challenge that notion a little bit that maybe maybe these are the people we in our lives we might know least, or we make. The most assumptions about.
1: Yeah, I think we think because we are we grow up in the same house um, within the same walls that we we know each other that we know each other and we do of course on some level, but that we know each other and we know each other's perspective on even the same the same events, the same life, the same house, the same neighborhood, the same. And um, I think we don't. In most cases, we don't. It kind of can feed the stories we tell ourselves about, you know, the other people in our family constructs our story. And if we really stop and, and think about it, you know, we could be dead wrong. <laughs> I don't think we, uh, a lot of times, know our siblings. And I don't think we know our parents and where they really come from um, and and our kids.
0: I think we're sometimes um, stingy with our stories. Uh, you know, like I, I'm struck by when I work with families um, to have different siblings report what their experiences have been like to date growing up. Same house, same parents, same DNA, and yet they might tell me a completely different story with a completely different vibe. If you interviewed me and my siblings, you and your siblings, everyone would have a different story to tell, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. And that's not a bad thing, but I don't know that we listen to, share, or understand each other's stories very well. And I think we have a fundamental need to be seen and known, you know? And so, and so if we don't fulfill that need within our family, then we're strangers living under the same roof. And there can be a lot of pain in feeling lonely, knowing there are other people in other rooms, you know, that we could connect with, but we don't know how.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah. There's definitely that. Like, well, so we've talked about you know Bruce and his story with his dad. There's that story is is not an uncommon story, where a parent, um, a mother or a father you hear, does not know how to say even "I love you," "I'm proud of you." I remember hearing Paul Simon say, who, you know, not that long ago, who was very accomplished. Um at this point, an older man and and still had this sadness about him because very simply his dad never said, I'm proud of you. And I, and I think there's a lot of dads, and maybe Bruce's dad was one of them. Um, you know, and I've had people who have told the story, you know, friends who've told the story, um, you know, clients who've told the story that um you know their their parent didn't know how to s- express their love for them, and and I feel like um, it's got to be painful to probably want to do that and not know how.
0: I've seen that countless times. You've probably seen that countless times, and it's and it's so brutal because every kid needs it and wants it, right? You know, and um, and you know that there's something in that parent's experience, breadth of experience throughout their lives. That makes them stingy emotionally, right? Because there's this fear of getting hurt if you expose anything about yourself, and yet the desire to be known is so potent and powerful. I'm gonna I'm gonna tell a quick story on my buddy Mike, who I saw the the, the show with. I met Mike a year before we we saw Springsteen for the first time. We were sophomores in high school, and. Um, in the library at Maine South High School, um, I met this dude who was popping. I mean, he was a he was a funny. I'm like, I want to I want to know this guy yeah. right here. Whatever this guy's deal is, I want to know what his deal is. I want to hang with him, and um, and he asked me briefly about like where do you live, Duffy? I tell him where I live. He goes, I live near there. Tell me about your family. I tell him, you know, I got two brothers and a sister, my mom and dad. What about you? I got a brother, my mother, my dad's dead. We're not going to talk about him period. Yeah. And for years, so Mike and I became best friends, inseparable, for years. And we did not mention his dad. I remember he, he and I were talking the other night after Bruce, and he asked me if I remember being in his house, which I'd only been in a couple of times, but the evidence of his father, there was very, very mm. little of it there. Um, and then as an adult, Mike so needed to be known and to tell his story that he wrote a best-selling memoir about it. Yeah. Bruce Springsteen so needed to be known as something other than this one dimension that he wrote a bestseller about it and he did a Broadway show about like this is this is who I am. You know, I didn't drive until I was 21. I wrote racing in the streets when I was 18, I'd never driven a fucking car oh, in my yeah. life. That's you know. Um that's how badly we want people to know our stories. It's important, like, uh, because because that's our legacy. And I heard recently somebody say that, oh, it was in Westworld. That idea that you know mm. you only exist until the last person remembers you, kind of thing. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, and so all of us, we want some degree of maybe not immortality. But we certainly want people to know who we are and maybe one day who we were. Um, And that starts at home. You know what I mean? Like it starts with family. Most of us, that's that's who's going to know us. And too often I think it's just these little bits and pieces that we're trying to put together to create some cohesive whole that doesn't really reflect the whole at all. You know what I mean? Like I think there's probably a better way, and it's, and it's to tell the stories. Tell, you know, like parents will sometimes say to me, like, you know, I'm certainly not going to tell my kid what I did when I was her age. And I usually kind of beg them, oh, tell. share the story. <laughs> yeah. Share the story. You know, like your story is going to have more potency, even if it's a cautionary tale, even if you did all the wrong things, tell the story. Let your kid know who you are and who you were. And if there was a misstep, tell them that, you know, but share the story. Otherwise, you're just a parent. And that's only got one dimension too. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And Especially the teenagers. It's just like, parent, foe, they're trying to limit me, you know, they're trying to take something away. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, whereas, you know, you can become an ally, but like with any relationship, you got to give something, you know? And I suppose for a lot of us this is a little esoteric I think this topic but it's not unimportant because for a lot of us there's a risk in sharing our stories we hold them tight Yeah 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 for reasons
1: Also it's a product of assumptions I think and 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 maybe lack of opportunity in other words I make assumptions about how my brothers see things or feel about, you know, our family dynamic or my parents. And, um, maybe a lot of times in life, there isn't, you don't, there isn't an opportunity to have these conversations. You just don't, or you just don't ever have them. You realize you don't ever have them. You know, my twin brothers, um, Younger brothers. My one brother was in the hospital. He had some problems at birth. He was in the hospital for the first thirteen months of his
0: life. You think about that that dynamic how, with a number that must play on a child more than a year, the first year, right? And, that, that's, um, and that, that's and on on your mom and dad, and on you and Jeff, like and and his twin brother. You know, like on your whole family. That's that's impactful. That's big, huge,
1: and. My mom realized, when they were like in their 20s, she realized, I don't know if Brad knows this story. Right, so his twin he, brother. His twin brother, right. who he lived with every day, you know, she realized he doesn't know the story. He doesn't know what Dave went through. And like, how would he? So that's one glaring example. Kind of, I think it's the first time I went, oh my gosh. Yeah. You know, wow. That ha- probably happens a lot. You know, you... Don't know what your older brother's life was like when he was little. You don't know, probably, right? What your sister's life necessarily was like. No, because you see it through your lens. And when you uh, and we and we just don't take the opportunity to um, ask, I guess. But it can feed our narrative a lot of times incorrectly.
0: And then and then we misunderstand one another and and what each other's motives are and what we. Believe and feel and think about our families. Yeah, totally. <laughs> right. I mean, it, it's so the consequences are not small because you're right. I don't know what Mike's life what Mary Ellen's life was like, what Tom's life was like. Tom and I are close in age, you know, um, and we clearly had very different upbringings. And um, I mean, yeah, you
1: you know it from you know it t- to some degree, but you don't know what their experience is, and you don't know what their perspective is but we just we but we think we know which we is we think we know we for sure think we know
0: right yeah right and and um unless you really curate the time to share stories you don't know like i'm thinking about my relationship with you and i know you because you and i have shared all our stories and i think george has benefited to some extent from the fact that we are open to sharing our stories, you know, I worry about how that looks going forward. Like I, as I was listening to Bruce the other night here, so here's like, here's a 68 year old man going back 60 years to tell his story all the way through. And he gets two hours to do it and he can intersperse music and you know, like what a, what a beautiful thing for to, a gift to yourself for Mr. Springsteen, very smart of you. Right. Um, but the art of the personal story and I think maybe social media has something to do with it, it is so overly curated, and we're so cautious with what pieces we're gonna s- share, right? That you know, um we're drawing narratives that are dangerous in a way because they look different than life looks.
1: Yes. Okay, so I want to go back to wait, go back to something you were just talking about. How we know each other pretty well because we've told each other a lot of stories, which is true. And I think you're that, not going
0: to share something weird, are you? now?
1: <laughs> I think that um, friendships, um, love relationships, marriages—you, um, you, right? You, I think you do get to know each other better than you know your siblings, than you know your parents, um, even than you know your kids. That brings up a kind of a crazy example of um, of how we don't know each other. Uh, I didn't tell George I was married before until like two years ago. Why? It's one of those things. And, and this,
0: George, by the way, is twenty two.
1: Yeah. So this this is how this kind of stuff happens. I and mean, there's a million iterations to this, and it's a it's a rich tapestry. <laughs> but. Uh, so I was married before I, we did a podcast about it. I literally forget that I was, is one thing. Um, and then you remember, and, you know, they are three, uh, you know, it co- pops into your mind and you're like, well, you know, I'm not going to talk about it now. And then they're, it pop, might pop into your head when they're five or, and then seven. And I mean, just, is never the right time. Right. So <laughs> to the point that I had not said it. You know, until again, like two years ago, I went in his room, sat down and said, I got something really kind of weird to tell you. And I told him and, you know, and it, it was all good. He's like, oh, wow. You know, and I.
0: Well, you waited till he was 40. So he was able <laughs> to assimilate it. <laughs> so that's another example of
1: um, it's kind of never the right time or you just you don't never think about it. Something that, um, you know, that important. Yeah. That, Is
0: that something you feel you should have shared with him earlier?
1: It just got to the point where it was ridiculous, yeah. you know, and, and then it was just, you know, then it's just, it, there are probably a lot of things like that where you feel like it's never the right time or it's not relevant. It was, in my past, it was resolved in a way that I, uh, like we talked about on the podcast, that I, you know, was comfortable with, felt good about, and it was, it was behind me. But it's kind of no small thing in a way. It kind no. of is. <laughs> but it isn't. But yeah,
0: it, I, you know, it just got to be crazy ridiculous. Well, in a way, I think George knowing that and knowing how you handled that might have fostered some respect from him. It's like the perfect example of
1: how, just how that can happen. And it's just one little example how we can be in the same house and not know uh, a lot about each other. Right, right, and that's that's and our not big just point. Pa- you know, uh, of course, parents with kids and there's kids things you know, parents don't want to share with their kids, which is fine. But um, I also you have a million examples, and and I you know have examples that of kids that come in and tell you about themselves, about their passions, about their interests, about the way they see the world, and you know their parents have never heard it. They have don't. They have no them, idea. Have never. Have met never that met person. that person. Yeah. Because the conversations just don't happen, and it can and and it can be that way for an entire lifetime. Yeah, you shift at some point. Your kids are little. You you think you know them. You observe them. You you write a story about them, um, and then at some point, you know maybe they get a little bit older, and then it becomes, um, you know this. Management of fear, <laughs> I think in adolescence it can be. Oh, for parents. You know, yeah, you're managing, yeah. like, you know, making sure they get, you know, get to where you want them to go. And and there's less knowing of them, I think, that, that happens. Less getting to know even what their day is like, what their interests are, what, and, and certainly what their perspective is on things. In a lot of cases, there's their... You know, parents are blown away, you, you often point out, by who their kids really are. And they sometimes don't know.
0: They oftentimes don't often know. Don't we know. oftentimes, I think, as parents don't know. Um, and it, it's no small thing because it is part of that emotional bank account that's part of that connection that um, can carry kids through. The other piece of it, I've been writing about parenting because I'm working on a on a a book about how things have changed so dramatically in the last few years, and one of them is that kids are starting to draft their own narratives. Their lives are starting to be defined at younger and younger ages. They have points of view when they're eight or nine years old. There's they have something to say, and um, and so if. You can engage, the, the the cool thing is you can engage a pretty young child in um, a discussion that you never would have had a generation ago, and they will have something to say about it, yeah. which it's, um, I, I, in the book I talk about how it's a little much developmentally for kids and how you can help them through that. But the biggest point, the biggest upside is that they have a point of view, so in that dinner table discussion that would normally be amongst the parents, maybe the older teenagers, you can bring your nine-year-old into it, and and he or she will blow your mind because they have a point of view. And as just a quick side note to parents, kids go through some dark times, so their point of view might be hard to hear. So I work with a lot of parents who are afraid to hear how their kids really feel about themselves, their world, the future. And um, in these days, you you don't have the luxury of letting that fear own you. You have to find a way to assimilate that into your psyche so that you can be there to hear your child out because they need you as a sounding board.
1: Yeah. I remember too that... Um Another thing that just popped into my head is, you interviewed your mom. It was a it was years ago, but I we were married, and you sat down and interviewed her, and you learned so much about what it was like for her to be her parents' daughter and her mother's daughter, and um, you had a new understanding of where she was coming from and the tools she did and didn't have, um, and 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 that can only the, the, way, the more we understand each other, uh, the more in relationship we can authentically be. And I think in families, we just often don't, don't know those stories.
0: And I think it's because going all the way back to the beginning, because we do what you said we do, we, we make these assumptions. We, make, we, we assume, well, we're family. We, we know. I've seen. I was there. I saw, the, I, I saw everything that happened in your life. But the truth is we didn't. We never do. You know what I mean? We never do. You never totally know somebody else's story.
1: You know, you told a story on the podcast the other day about, we were talking about end of summer and, you know, like back to school and how it feels kind of, there's, that's anxiety inducing. And you told a story about how you loved the end of summer because your birthday was coming up. Yeah. And I, that was new information for me. I thought you didn't give a rat's ass about your birthday. Not that we ignore it, but I thought you really didn't care that much about your birthday. Oh, I, I, um, I, and I felt like, I was like, wow, he loves his birthday, you know?
0: I don't really love my birthday. I, I like that it comes at, at this seminal time, like, because, here, the, the, because my birthday typically around there, people gather and celebrate anyway, because it's like near Labor Day. It's there, there there's, I, I feel plenty celebrated. You know what I mean? Like, um, But I get your point. I get your point that you... It was a we- story
1: where I learned... I, like I pictured you as a little kid being excited about your birthday. And I was like, wow. It just, I just... I saw you in a different light after yeah. hearing that story. Yeah. So this is a topic that is kind of huge. And I feel like we've hit it from all these different angles. But... You know the upshot I think is, um, you know, how can you get to know your parents a little bit better? You know, ask them some, ask them some questions, let them tell some stories. Yeah. Your siblings, your kids, um, undoubtedly in knowing them better, you will have a. Better connection with them, a deeper appreciation for them, and for sure know yourself better because you're in that, you're in their context, whether you like it or not. um, Just have more clarity in every way.
0: And you might find that I don't know if that
1: makes sense or not.
0: I think it does. I think you also might find that something that divides you some issue or something that you, you think divides you, right. That, that you'll figure that you'll learn something about the reasons underneath it all or the context and realize, Oh, that's why I get it now. You know, like I, I will say like doing the work that I do, doing the work that you do, that's a feeling I have all the time. Like I'll have somebody described to me and I get that person across from me. And within a couple of minutes you talk to them you're like, Oh, right. Of course. That's why you're anxious. That's why you're a jerk to people. That's why you're a loner. That's why you choose this or you're stuck with this or whatever. It makes sense now. But without that interview, that context, you just don't know. And don't assume it with anybody, your parents, your grandparents, your children, anybody. Do
1: something, even your husband or your wife, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, someone you think you know really well, try to find out something you don't know about them. The more you know what lights someone up, what scares someone, what makes someone sad, you know, the the, the more of an authentic connection you're gonna have with that person.
0: And on the other end, if you are a person who doesn't share yeah. your story. Who's stingy with it? Um, I would strongly encourage you. I think there's a lot of shame and sadness sometimes in people um, who hold their story too tight. You know, when when I so in ta- when, when I was talking with my buddy Mike the other night, he said oddly enough, the reason I didn't share my story is I was Ashamed that I didn't have a dad, huh. you know. Yeah, um, and he didn't know how to talk about that with people, and you know. So when he shared it, he shared it big, but he's so much better now. He feels so much better about his life and its context, being known and being widely, broadly accepted and loved, and and taking. Well, he in learned a that. ton.
1: He learned a lot about his. Whole family in the process. Yeah,
0: yeah, and and um, and the family that remains is cohesed in a way that they never would be otherwise. He and his brother Chris are closer than they ever were before. He and his mother Barbara are closer than they ever were before because because they brought their story out to the light of day. You know, and, and they and to each other. Yeah. And to each other. Yeah. Literally yeah. each other. Yeah. You know, like like in order to understand his father's death when he was six years old, Mike had to interview his brother, Chris, who was eight, you know, who just, who knew more, who, who knew his dad for two more years and knew so much more context about, you know, Mike, there's so much he didn't know. So anyway, it's as important to be seen and to be known as it is to be there to see and know other people. So the challenge for this week for all of you to make life a little better is to play both ends of that. Share something that you might not ordinarily share. And I'll bet you that plays better than you can imagine. Um, And ask somebody if there's something you've wondered or if if you carry a beef with somebody, if you carry like some negative energy with somebody, talk to them, and you will find healing in there somewhere just through sharing stories. This is better. It's good to be back in the studio, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. We got to find some new music. Oh, yeah, I think so. (laughs) All right. This is better. Um, I'm John. This is Julie. Love you, honey. Love you, honey. We'll talk to you next time. Have a great week.